and welcome to Anomalous Waves, a podcast discussing all things strange. I'm John. I'm Amalia. And over here, telepathically producing the episode. The Lilliput. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what are you going to talk about today? I have no idea, actually. Cute cryptids from Oregon. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I knew it was cryptids, but... Yeah, you didn't know they're cute, though. <laughs> I should have. You didn't know the cute factor. <laughs> Cryptid cuties. Uh, and I'm going to be talking about uh, green stuff. Like mold? I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Any Lilliput updates? Lilliput had a little dog surgery at the end of June. She's doing great. And she is just a little sensitive about her haircut yet because they had a shaver in one part so her she's butt. yeah shaver butt so she's really floofy everywhere else but her buns <laughs> and her little spot for her little baby yeah, dog yeah. ivy yeah. yeah it's been a while we've just been kind of catching up on life stuff over the summer got a new mattress and within that is a pretty hilarious uh tail <sighs> I got a really, uh, I got, it, it's one that was really tightly wound up. And Amalia was like, yeah, uh, those make really cool sounds. So you should probably get your recording equipment and I'll cut it open and you'll record the sound. So we uh, started doing that, did not read the instructions that were at the bottom of the box <laughs> uh, and did not lay it flat before cutting it open. So Amelia just got right in there using the little tool to slice it open. And I'm like, it's not really making any kind of cool sound or anything. This is maybe maybe it's gonna be a big reveal at the end. It's gonna all decompress or I whatever. I was starting to feel really dumb. <laughs> like, where's this cool sound that happened last time? And then we got to the very, very end where it was just about to open. I know in that moment, I had a thought of, I remember reading a review where someone said, be careful when you're opening it. I wonder what they meant. <laughs> and in that moment, Amalia slices it open and it just springs all the way open at once. Just not like... Popped open like a can of biscuits. It was like that. And Amalia flew into the wall <laughs> and I watched in terror as she was swallowed up by this mattress monster. Luckily, she poked her head up and was just <laughs> laughing. And I think we got the audio tape of it. It might not sound that funny, but um, if it is, this is where it'll play. <laughs> oh! Are you okay? Oh my God. That's what people meant by be careful. Oh my god. Oh my god, that scared me so bad. I'm so glad you're okay. Yeah, my pride's still hurting on that one. And other than that, we saw, uh, we watched Talk to Me last night. Yeah. Very good. Mm hmm. Spooky. Very scary. Creepy. Australian film. Had a lot had a lot of interesting things to say. Yeah. I thought it was cool that it was kind of about that rite of initiation 
in your teen years experimenting with things and sometimes uh, doing things that are not a good idea. It's very original, and I liked it a lot. Yeah. All right, and then other than that, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, UFO stuff mm-hmm. going on. Don't know what I think about all of it, but uh, I'm going to let Edit John just kind of ramble about it for a while. And then we're going to launch straight into the episode. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Anomalous Waves. David Grush, a former intelligence official who worked for the UAP task force within the DOD, has claimed that the U.S. has been collecting non-human craft for decades. Grush has also now claimed that the U.S. has intact and partially intact alien vehicles, as well as pilots of said craft. When you say crash retrieval, what do you mean? Uh, These are retrieving non-human origin uh, technical vehicles, you know, call it spacecraft if you will. Uh, It's probably not the right parlance, but uh, no kidding, non-human, exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed. We have spacecraft from another species. We do, yeah. How many? Quite a number. Journalist and historian Garrett Graff has said, there's no firsthand knowledge. He didn't see things himself. He didn't touch them. He wasn't part of the operation to retrieve them. And we haven't heard from anyone who was. Grush claims that this information was gathered from extensive interviews with high-level intelligence officials. He has reported the existence of a UFO material recovery program to Congress and filed a complaint with the Intelligence Community Inspector General. That complaint contained classified locations, program names, and other data. Grush has also claimed that there was a sophisticated disinformation program targeting the U.S. populace. This is all starting to sound like an episode of X-Files, but it gets weirder. In the early hours of May 1st, 2023, a 911 call was made by a young man in the Las Vegas area. There's like an eight-foot person beside it, and another one's inside, and it has big eyes and looking at us, and it's still there. Okay, where is this on your property? Uh, in my backyard. I swear to God, this is not a joke. This is actually we so terrified of it. So there's two people or two subjects that are in your backyard? Correct, and they're very large. They're okay. like eight foot. Nine feet, ten foot, I don't know. They're, they, look like, they look like aliens to us. Big eyes, they have big eyes, okay. like, like I can't explain it. And big mouth. They're shiny eyes, and, and they're not human. They're 100% they're not human. At 11.50 p.m. on April 30th, just about 40 minutes earlier, a Las Vegas Metro police officer's body cam recorded something streaking low across the sky. Several people across Eastern California, Nevada, and Utah reported seeing the flash, according to the American Meteor Society. Yeah, there seems to be consensus that there was a meteorite that night But was there something else? Because we're hearing of something streaking from east to west, but also from west to east. And I can tell you that there's an entire community of people around here 
who do not discount what this family is saying. But the timing of events that night was enough for the officers to look into it. After responding to the calls, officers arrive and speak with the witnesses. By now, it's more than an hour after that bright light. Officers meeting up with the caller and his family. What'd you see? It was like a, it was like a big creature. A big creature? Yeah, like a long testing top. I'm not going to BS you guys. One of my partners said they saw something fall out of the sky too, so that's yes. why I'm kind of curious. Did you see anything land in your backyard? Or? They see like a big, that's what they say. They see like a big, uh, like a big something with light. What I saw right now, I do believe in it. The video shows one officer walking into the backyard to investigate, but the Metro Police blacked out that part of the video, citing privacy laws. In a video later released by the witness, he describes some of the strange details of his encounter. Hello everybody, welcome to my channel. This is my first video. I'm here to tell you what happened to me on May 1st, 2023. I'm trying to explain the best of my abilities. This is not a conspiracy theory. I'm not making this story off for cloud or fame. I just want to tell you what happened to me and my family. Keep in mind, this is midnight and I'm fixing a truck in my backyard. At this point, I'm only with my brother and I hear something fall from the sky. I turn around, the only thing I, I see is a big light falling from the sky and moments after, I feel a big impact and a, and a bang, sort of like a big impact fall. And me and my brother looked at each other and we were scared, but, the, but when the impact happened, it was sort of like a shock wave, like an out of body experience. So to say, when I tried to look at the object, it was all blurry, not my vision, but only the backyard area. And I hear thousands of footsteps around me and maybe a couple seconds later, the blurriness was gone. So when that happened, the only thing I can see in the backyard is a tall creature, probably around eight, 10 feet tall, very thin. So I called my dad, he went to the backyard and he saw the same thing, the same creature I saw. He told me to go inside the house. At this point, we all freaking out, me and my family. Moments after the video, me and my brother went to go pick up my tools. Then my brother calls me and he told, he told me shakingly, look behind the forklift. So I look, keep in mind I'm facing the forklift and then I see the alien creature. So when I saw it, it was a tall, skinny, lengthy creature. He was a gray greenish color. And when I looked at it in the eyes, my body just froze. Like the same way, the same experience as having sleep paralysis. Keep in mind I'm staring at him and I look at his whole body and he has a weird looking feet and a big face and eyes and you can see a big mouth. And, and I, I could hear his loud, deep breathing and I could see his stomach moving. He would just stare at me. Seconds later, I could start moving again. And I start running towards the house. That's when I call 911. I'm waiting for the police to come and you could hear footsteps in the backyard area and a loud whispering, like you could hear whisperings. We were in we were in the living room area. And you could hear you could hear footsteps on the roof. So we waited a little bit for the police. When they arrived, they told me what I told them what I saw, and they were kind of freaked out. This is what happened to me on May first, twenty twenty three. I hope you guys kind of understand what happened to me. I know it's hard to believe, but I saw what I saw, and it's kind of going viral. That's why I'm here to explain the story.
The video is uploaded by the young man who made the 911 call, named Angel. He also includes a clip from a neighbor's ring camera that captures the sound of a large impact that night. Here's a ring camera video. You can hear the bang. This is around the neighborhood. So here's the video. This information all comes from a video released on his new YouTube channel called Alien Society 51. The Las Vegas 8 News Now investigators have reached out several times for follow-up, and every time they agree to meet, no one answers the door. The new YouTube channel created by Angel and lack of follow-up and video evidence has caused many to call it a hoax. Like many witnesses of anomalous phenomena, Angel, the individual who made the call, has said that this has affected his mental health. 8 News Now in Las Vegas has reported that the family is being threatened. The family members today, they're, they're so skittish, they don't want to go on camera, but you talk to them. What did they say? Yeah. Yeah, they refused an interview request, but I did talk to Angel. He is the teenager you hear in that 911 call. I also spoke with his father. I can tell you they are both skittish, they're anxious, and they're scared. And the family is basically in lockdown inside their house. They've shut down. Um, they claim they're being threatened and by people who you know are accusing them of engaging in a elaborate hoax uh, which they deny they have stuck by their story that something happened in this backyard that there were creatures out there and you know in talking with people around here it wasn't just angel who saw it his brothers saw it and his father also came out and saw it. And I, you know, met Angel. I met his father. Um, they seem like reasonable people. He seems like a nice kid, and it seems like a very nice family here. So, okay. There you go. Some of these threats appear to be from individuals who believe that Angel and his family are part of a hoax to trick the American people. Now, it's important to note that calling in a hoax to 911 is a Category E felony in Nevada a conviction that can carry a one to four year prison sentence. Although the event took place on May 1st, the story didn't break on 8 News Now until after the claims from Ryan Grush and this new disinformation, I mean disclosure, campaign. These last couple of years have been wild in the UFO scene. Video releases by the government, pilot sightings, UAPs being shot down, claims from high security government officials about non-human pilots, 911 calls about giant beans with glowing eyes and giant mouths in their backyard, and now an official congressional hearing on UFOs or UAPs. We believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier. Do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. There were some of the same claims by Grush, including a secret program to study UFOs for nearly the last 100 years. 
They have recovered craft and something he referred to as non-human biologics, as well as defense contractors diverting payments for weapons to fund research. So maybe you think this is a disinformation campaign to increase military spending, or that Mr. Grush is simply a pawn in the game being fox moldered by some cigarette smoking men high up, or it's just straight legit. Either way, it's here, it's in the public conscious, and I believe this will ultimately result in an increase in sightings and reporting. Hopefully it gives others the comfort to step forward without ridicule. And whatever crashed by the time the police got there was gone. But sources say that there's really no dispute. Something was in their yard. Exactly what? We do not know. I mean, it's so interesting. So, like, the metro officers see something. The neighbors see something. I mean, so what could it be? Well, we know that there are obviously a lot of military bases around this area. Uh, George Knapp covers a lot of that stuff for us on the 80s Now Investigators. We're showing you drone video from above that area. And we know, of course, Creech not far away, Nellis Air Force Base not far. I checked in with them. They say they are not involved at all, and we are waiting to hear from the Pentagon as well. Hmm. A lot of people saw it that night on uh, the night of April 30th, early in the morning on May 1st. Did that exact thing land in their yard? I don't know. But these people said they saw some SUV circling the area. Could this, have, could this have been some piece of equipment that malfunctioned? Maybe they saw something and then someone came. I can't believe we're talking about this. <laughs> right. Someone came and Picked retrieved it, it from the backyard <laughs> right. in the SUV. We don't know. This all comes as uh, a former high-level intelligence officer, an air a veteran, was on News Nation talking about how there is a program where the government collects some unidentified objects. So this might be that. We just don't know. We're going to work to find and, out, though. And Brian no Dave. substances. They were looking no with clear substances. eyes. Goodness. Very interesting. Not big form. buggy eyes, though. This, like <laughs> this is really unique. Thank you, David. So what do you all think of this? Have you had a recent encounter with a UFO? Send me a message. I would love to hear it. All right, enough UFO rambles for one day. It's time for some cryptid cuties from Oregon with Amalia. If those, if, those, if those nine foot beings come back, don't call us, all right? Deal with it yourself. That, I ain't dealing with that. <laughs> so I'm very long overdue for talking about cute cryptids. And I found some that I had never heard about found three that I will be covering today. The first cryptid cutie I'm going to be talking about is Colossal Claude. Colossal Claude. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a throwback to my sea serpent research that I did a while ago, a couple episodes ago. And I don't know why I never came across this one. I think we need some clarification before you go. Claude as in dirt Claude? Claude as in Claude, like scratched? Or Claude as in name? Name. Okay. Mm -hmm. Remember we had this whole mm -hmm. uh, thing last episode. Thanks for clearing it up. Yeah. <laughs> so Claude calls the Columbia River in Oregon his home. And one of the first documented sightings was in 1934 by the crew of Lightship Columbia LV-88. They described the creature as 40 feet long, and it resembled a serpentine animal that had a thick body and evil-looking horse-like head. Ooh. Now, they did not follow Claude out of fear he may sink their boat, which 
I bet he would have. Orca style. <laughs> <laughs> Team Orca. <laughs> I know. Orcas, orcas. Now, three years later, in 1937, a captain of a fishing trawler called the Viv spotted what he described as a creature that was 40 feet long with a four-foot-wide waist, and it had tan-colored skin and a big horse head, but gray, coarse fur. Mm. And they saw it hunting for fish. Mm. Another report from the same year comes from 150 miles away down the Oregon coastline. And in that sighting, a couple just south of Yahats near a rocky outcrop known as the Devil's Churn and the Hecate Head Lighthouse reported seeing an animal estimated at 35 feet long and it was swimming in the ocean. And according to their accounts, the creature had a head similar to that of a giraffe's with fluttering ears and horns that were eight to 10 inches long. So that one, I'm guessing, was serpentine in body mm-hmm. as well. I think so. And 35, 40, it's, it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. But the little ears and the horns, that's a little different. If somebody were to ever ask me like how big some monster was, I'm like, you're out of luck. I got dyscalculia. <laughs> I can compare it to something. I'm not telling you how long it is. It's probably more helpful for me as well, actually, if somebody <laughs> was like, as long as a 18-wheel semi-truck, I would be like, yep, I know how long that is. So locals named this creature the Yahat Serpent. And there are newspaper articles that predate Colossal Claude. And I found one from December 6, 1927, where they say the creature was swimming south of Yahat's organ. But this one was 12 feet long, dark in color, with a large hump on its back. And the head was the size of a barrel. See? I can picture a barrel. I cannot <laughs> picture how long something is. Barrel's a huge head. So this thing was like real thick and shorter. Maybe it was a baby or a teenager. Could be. Oh, <laughs> That's cute. On April 13th in 1939, the crew of a halibut fishing ship, the Argo, encountered a creature at the mouth of the river. The creature reared up over 10 feet out of the water and was said to look directly at the crew. The men stood and watched the large serpent that was about 10 feet from the ship's hole, and it was eating fish. Argo captain Chris Anderson said that its head was like a camel's, and it had coarse gray fur. Always very similar. The mm-hmm. only difference is the ears and the possible... Uh, horns. Yeah, and sometimes the length. Which are probably just a little satellite signal apparatus thing. So it can talk to the mothership. (laughs) They said the creature had glassy eyes and a bent snout that he used to push a 20-pound halibut off our lines and into his mouth. Now, interestingly enough, in 1963, the Shell Oil Company was off the Oregon coastline searching for a drilling site when the underwater cameras picked up something very interesting. It was a 15-foot-long creature with barnacled ridges along its body that was caught on camera, and it was swimming in a sort of corkscrew fashion at a depth around 180 feet deep. They nicknamed it Marvin the Monster. There is a theory that it could be a species of jellyfish or an animal that was left over from the prehistoric era. 
but some wonder it is clawed. Well, I've always wondered with the lake monster stuff too, because when we were kids, they would the dinosaur books, the sea ones. Sometimes I'm like, that looks like sea monster descriptions. Yeah. yeah so. But, you know, they're probably not left over. It's probably more likely that there's a portal to prehistoric times down somewhere in the sea, and uh, they're popping in and out of that portal because mm-hmm. time doesn't exist. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to number two. <laughs> <laughs> now, close to Joseph, Oregon, there is a lake called Balawa Lake. It is 3.7 miles long and about three-fourths miles wide, and it has a depth of 299 feet. This lake seems like something that is out of Land of the Lost. They had freshwater crustaceans, just a giant crab. Mm-hmm. I could not find any old newspaper articles on this little crustacean cutie, but supposedly back when pioneers were going across the Oregon Trail... They encountered these ginormous crabs that would steal cattle. They would just grab the cattle with their claws and then drag them underwater. Now, these crabs have not been seen in over 100 years, so they could have just been stories that people were telling on the Oregon Trail to be like, oh, don't come here, you know, because they wanted all the space to themselves. Don't go near that lake. There's giant crabs. Yeah. <laughs> They'll steal all your cattle. <laughs> it's just a really cool spot that they like. They're like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's my favorite fishing hole because it started spreading cra- giant crab rumors. Okay, so my last creature, and this is probably my favorite one, is the gumbaroo. So I found newspaper articles about this creature that date back to 1912. There were many sightings in the 19th and early 20th century of this big boy. So the gumbaroo has like a bear shape, and it only has hair on its eyebrows and on its chin. (laughs) And it has dark skin that is tough enough to withstand bullets and arrows. But its weakness is fire. Supposedly, it was always really, really, really hungry. Like, it could not stop eating. Just, like, eat everything in its path. So much like me in the winter, this creature spends most of its time in a state of hibernation, only leaving its lair a few times a year to search for food. It was a bear with mange. (laughs) Have you ever seen a picture of a bear with mange? Like, where it has no fur except for in a couple spots? It looks like like a werewolf. In an article from The World, which was published on April 25th, 1912, it states that every region has its strange animals, almost or wholly unknown to science. Thus, in the foggy country along the Pacific coast from Grace Harbor to Humboldt Bay, there ranges a kind of creature that has caused much annoyance. The gumbaroo is believed to remain in hiding most of the time inside of huge burned-out cedar trees. The scarcity of gumbaroo is thought to be due to their combustible character and the prevalence of forest fires. Fire, indeed, is the only thing that will destroy them, and they burn like celluloid with explosive force. Frequently, during and after a forest fire in the heavy cedars near Coos Bay, woodsmen have insisted that they heard loud reports quite unlike the sound of falling trees and detected the smell of burning rubber in the air. 
So oddly enough, when I was looking for more sea serpent news articles, um, I came across one that was from the Greater Oregon, published on April 11th, 1958. Not about sea serpents, but it says, no sea serpents have been reported for several months. But in Point Barrow, Alaska, which is the headland of the Arctic coast, Raymond Kallak, who was an Inuit seal hunter, saw a giant polar bear twice. He estimated it was about 30 feet in length, and no one believed him until two other seal hunters named Nathaniel Nokok and Raymond Apollock also spotted the bear while hunting. It states, There were fairly reliable reports that a black polar bear was seen by several hunting parties and that the bear was 30 feet long. Could it be related to the Gumboro? I haven't really found any more recent Gumboro sightings. But they said that <laughs> supposedly, the <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at this, the Gumboro, when you use fire on it to destroy it, it just like explodes. <laughs> yeah, you said combustible. Yeah, combustible. And then I also thought it was interesting that it like hides in like hollowed out cedar trees. Like a little hog. That were like kind of burnt out. And then the fact that they don't have hair, fur and stuff. And they smell like burning rubber. They smell like burning rubber. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess a lot of lumberjacks would see them. That's where almost all the sightings come from is lumberjacks. So last episode, when I was talking about a lot of weird tulpa stuff, it would mention these kind of misty forms. And I always get into that stuff. I like mist. It's a classic trope in horror movies. Uh, And to me, it represents the most liminal of realities because it can be a normal space and then you throw some fog in there. Now it's a liminal space. Or a middle school dance. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) And speaking of liminality, this story on liminal.earth switched me from mist to green mist and green stuff. So this popped up while I was just doing some random story function. Glowing green cloud crashes party. What? Early 2000s. I received this story from a man who grew up in Westboro. And although he wasn't there for the event itself, he's heard the story through several people who were. Wait, independent. where's Westboro? Edit John here. So the story on Liminal Earth is tagged Westboro and Massachusetts. Okay, back to it. I received this story from a man who grew up in Westboro. And although he wasn't there for the event itself, he's heard the story through several people who were, independently of each other, and says the tale remains consistent. The Cedar Swamp area of Westboro provides hiking trails and ample territory for kids to explore. Naturally, as kids become teenagers, this area becomes a place for hanging out late at night to surreptitiously drink and party. So it was that one night, a group of approximately 15 teenagers converged on a secluded spot in the woods near the railroad tracks in order to have a good time. The good times, however, were disturbed when suddenly a luminescent green mist started to roll through their party spot. 
Witnesses were startled and horrified to see this mist coalesce into a glowing green cloud, from which sounds described as similar to those of coyotes at play emanated. All who were present scrambled away and remained mystified and shaken for years over the inexplicable glowing green barking cloud that crashed their party. Submitted by Liminal Ambassador A.P. Strange. So that got me into green clouds, because first of all, I love that green, you know, otherworldly color. It's in so many Goosebumps episodes. It's in like every other episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm. It represents otherworldly stuff. So the first thing I thought of, I remembered when reading Where the Footprints End, Volume 2, there was a part in uh, the Mystery Light section written by Timothy Renner um, about something known as the Green Flash. Oh. So many episodes ago, I mentioned the Sierra Sounds. Ooh. Here's some. There's two of them across the creek at the big rocks. It's a hard act to follow. You sound like he talks to others and they talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> These sounds were recorded in the 1970s by Ron Moorhead and Alan Berry in the Sierra Nevada mountains, who had many experiences attributed to Bigfoot. These Bigfoot experiences were not only the strange occurrence near this campsite. One night in August of 1974, campers witnessed a strange light. One of the campers, Lewis Johnson, said, There's something funny going on because there was a bright flash from up there that just lit up the whole area. Johnson's brother came out and witnessed a flash himself, noting that it lit up the whole camp scene. They described it to me. It seemed like the light source or whatever was round and ball-like, maybe two to three feet in diameter, and it had a bluish cast and a white band around it. It also mentioned that the bright flash, even though it was like a strobe light, did not affect the Warren's night vision or even momentarily blind them. This time, a third flash from a different location, a green flash, nearly 100 feet in diameter. These flashes had no sound and they began repeating every two minutes or so. They began walking back to the shelter and it seemed like every six to eight feet, a light would explode somewhere in the trees overhead. They also now noticed a high-pitched whining sound in the area where they were observing the lights. The lights seemed to stop around midnight and they went to bed. At 3 a.m., Warren woke up to a mouse scampering by his head. And at the exact time he smacked it away, he saw a flash of green light within the shelter by the door. The light was bright enough to wake the others, who witnessed the light going off every few seconds, five or six times, and then it just stopped. 
The next night, the lights appeared again, very similar to the night before. But the third night, they began to focus on the campers. They flashed overhead and seemed to follow the campers, lighting up the sky silently. The next morning, they witnessed a set of large tracks that like many other cases in this book, if you've read it, just disappear. The last track was in the middle of a swath of soft, mushy ground with no indication of where the next track landed, even accounting for the creature's great stride. So lots of weird stuff mixed with Bigfoot, right? And these green flashing lights. And in that section, it also talks about Greg and Dana Newkirk and their experience um, with Dallas Gilbert and Wayne Burton, who Timothy writes are known for their unusual beliefs in Bigfoot. He writes, a few of their colleagues had patience for their tales of portals to prehistoric worlds, which is why I made that joke earlier, dimension jumping Bigfoot and telepathic Sasquatch. So they're on the trip I like, that high strangeness trip. Greg and Dana went with them to a place called the Boneyard, somewhere in the wilds of West Virginia. This is like their secret hot spot. Okay. Gilbert taught Dana a special call, a series of what he calls sacred words, supposedly in the Bigfoot language. Dana issued forth the sacred call. Timothy writes, her words were still echoing through the mountains when a green flash illuminated the sky above. The flash was followed by loud booming shrieks from the woods. First, from one side of the campfire, then answered with similar vocalizations from the opposite side. Whatever made the strange cries, there was more than one, and they seemed to be approaching the camp. Pretty <laughs> scary stuff. But Bigfoot and Green Flash. Greg Newkirk looked deeper, of course, into green lights, and he's quoted as saying, The more I dug into the Green Flash phenomena, the more interesting things got. These mysterious lights popped up in loads of reports connected to everything from ghost sightings to UFO experiences to, believe it or not, Bigfoot encounters. Most often, the green flash was reported as an afterthought, as if the primary phenomena experienced by witnesses was so stunning that the flash was nearly forgotten in the commotion. And I like that because I feel like that are the things that really interest me when you start to see these patterns that are just kind of part of the story, but maybe not the craziest part. Like when someone also heard a baby crying. Mm. You know, when someone, the, the place where the weird thing happened had the word devil in it. That happens all the time. Yeah. You know, there's, there's these things that just happen over and over again. And green flash or weird green stuff is one of those. You know, remember... Um Right before that whole Vegas UFO thing, my best friend works late, and they were driving home late at night. This is probably like a day before that happened. And on their little dash cam, they caught that green light in the sky. I don't know if it was like a comet or what. It was green, and then it just lit up the sky. But 
it's just odd that the dash cam just caught it perfectly. Yeah, I remember you showing me that video. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this was very close to the Las Vegas UFO stuff mm-hmm. that uh, Edit John was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, it, I don't know, I think it was the same week, at least. And it was more than likely like some sort of meteor event, but it's cool no matter what. Um, all right, now that takes me to a little bit UFOs and green mist. Now I just typed in green in that passport to Magonia database. Edit John here. It is in the appendix of Passport to Magonia by Jacques Vallée. And it's called A Century of UFO Landings, 1868 to 1968. All right, back to it. February 17th, 1949, France, exact location unknown. Alan Barard saw a large bright object land near his farm with a gr- with a <laughs> with a green lightning flash. It became dark. As he approached the craft, the witness saw three figures with stocky short legs, apparently without heads. Frightened, he fired at them three times. A moment later, the object took off vertically. So, green flash, three creatures with no heads. Rad. 1949. (laughs) January 29th, 1950, South Table Mountain, Colorado. Mr. Quintana of Denver saw a silvery green ovoid object hovering about 15 meters above a slope and landing slowly in a small ravine. Then it shot upward at very high speed. Its diameter was about 20 meters and it had a revolving middle band. A greenish light flashed under it and the witness felt a rush of air and a pungent smell. Last one, September 17th, 1954. France. This David, 28, met a bean in a diving suit who made friendly gestures. He was very small and had a voice inhuman and incomprehensible. The witness could not move throughout the encounter. He saw the creature enter an object on the road, about three meters by one meter in size. It took off like lightning, throwing a greenish light. So lots of cool green stuff with UFOs, that was just a couple. And that was just from the years 1949 to 1954. Yeah, I wonder why uh, green. Why not purple? Oh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings me to the last thing, known as the Philadelphia Experiment. The story goes that in October of 1943, there were some highly strange outcomes during an attempted invisibility experiment done with a Navy ship and crew of the USS Eldridge. Mm. First, let's break down what supposedly happened. Okay. The experiment was said to be based off of Einstein's unified field theory. And at that time, he was said to be officially working for the Navy, at least in the History's Mysteries episode I watched on YouTube. (laughs) But he was supposedly working on torpedoes and submarine type stuff. So honestly, way over my non-scientific mind. But according to Wikipedia, unspecified researchers thought that some version of this field would enable 
using large electrical generators to bend light around an object via refraction so that the object became completely invisible. The Navy regarded this as of military value and it sponsored the experiment. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Most accounts of the story state that testing began in the summer of 1943 and it had some success, including the ship being rendered nearly invisible and in its place, a greenish fog. What? A greenish fiery fog. Other versions claim that on October 28, 1943, the USS Eldridge not only became invisible, but straight up teleported from Philadelphia to New Fork, Virginia, over 200 miles away in another Navy yard. Now, why another Navy yard? I have no idea. <laughs> That's weird. Apparently, it was there for some time and witnessed by the SS Andrew Furiseth before teleporting back to its original position. Now, the ship was said to be totally fine, but the crew, not so much. Some were said to be driven mad. Some were on fire. Some what? of them were inside out. Some of them were fused to the ship. Someone's hand embedded in a steel hull of the ship, just like half in it. <gasps> And some were invisible. Now, some versions of the tale claim they sent many of these individuals to the institution. Now, I heard some brainwashing tactics were used, of course, as well as telling their families that they were just MIA. Of course. Some of the crew were said to do something they called freezing, where you would fade in and out of invisibility. And there's some wild stories attached to this. In a waterfront tavern, there was a fight between some drunken sailors. It's said that the sailors involved would start to fade in and out of reality until they became invisible. So just all these sailors brawling and half of them fading in and out while they're brawling. <sighs> Project Rainbow, as it was called, was canceled after all these crazy things happened. So this story first surfaced in 1955 when someone named Carl M. Allen sent an anonymous package marked Happy Easter, which contained a copy of Morris K. Jessup's The Case for the UFO. This was sent to the U.S. Office of Naval Research. The book was filled with handwritten notes in its margins written with three different shades of blue ink. It appeared there was three different folks all commenting on Jessup's ideas on propulsion, alien races, and expressed concern that he was too close to discovering their technologies. What? Jessup then began receiving letters from Carl Allen, or he would also go by Carlos Miguel Allende. The first letter warned Jessup not to investigate the levitation of UFOs, Allen talked of a dangerous science based off of unpublished theories by Einstein and then claimed that a scientist named Franklin Reno put these theories into practice at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in October of 1943. Allen claimed that he was aboard the SS Andrew Furseth and witnessed the experiment firsthand about the invisibility, the teleportion to New Fork, Virginia, and the horrible fate of the crew. 
1957, Jessup was invited to the Office of Naval Research where he was shown the copy of the book mm -hmm. with the different uh, handwriting mm -hmm. and the weird uh, explanation, you know, the weird notes yeah. on his book. And he recognized the handwriting and that it was this person named Carl Allen who had been writing him strange letters, threatening him. Um, Did he also put Happy Easter on them, I wonder? I don't know. Like, was it even around Easter? That's my main question right now. Or was it in, like, June? And I'm like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's sick. I, th I think it might have been, but, you know. Happy Fourth of July. Yeah. <laughs> so it's also written, you know, that Alan admitted 12 years later that he wrote those letters to scare the hell out of Jessup. Not sure why he wanted to, but... Yeah, what did he do? The annotated book was known as the Va Vero edition, and there was about 127 copies made of it. It also states that Jessup attempted to write more UFO literature, but was unsuccessful and lost his publisher, as well as, you know, some personal life issues. And he passed away that year under very strange circumstances. The History's Mysteries doc says that Jessup was looking into the Philadelphia experiment and found some interesting evidence that he was planning to share with his colleague, Manson Valentine. They made an attempt to have dinner the next day. But on April 20th, 1959, his car was found in a park in Cor Coral Gable, Florida. The engine still running and a hose running from the exhaust to the inside of the car. Ooh. Inside was Jessup, who was still breathing, but soon died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Very strange indeed. Um, there's definitely, you know, it was definitely ruled as a suicide, and people note, you know, the, the difficulties with his personal life, with his publishing. Um, but if it is true that he had plans to meet with that person uh, the next day, that's interesting. Carl Allen was reportedly upset that everyone was making money on this. Reportedly, he showed up in 1969 to the headquarters of the Aerial Phenomena Research Association to admit that it was the wildest pack of lies I ever wrote. <laughs> so people were like making money off the Vero edition stuff. They were making money off the Philadelphia experiment. And he was upset about it. In 1979, Charles Berlitz, who wrote The Bermuda Triangle, which contained a section on the Philadelphia Experiment. So him and William L. Moore write a follow-up book called The Philadelphia Experiment, Project Invisibility. Carlos Allende conveniently recants, or Carl Allen, conveniently recants his confession and tells them the ship was the U.S. Eldridge. Mm. In the History's Mysteries, uh, it interviews several crew members that were a part of the U.S. Eldridge. Mm -hmm. And they were like, I was there from it being built to it going out. Nothing weird happened at all. Colin Huey, right? And then, like, even the bar stories, there was people saying that, like, it was more like they got in a fight and then they just, like, left out the back door. And then oh. everyone was just like they disappeared, and Where'd then someone else, and then someone else was like they disappeared, like turned invisible, like the you know, it just kind of snowballs from there. Various authors attempted to contact Allen, but were unsuccessful. Robert Gorman, who was in the dock, 
He met Carl Allen's father, who had his sailor papers with his ID and everything, so he had proof. They described Carl Allen as a fantastic mind, but also a drifter and a master leg pooler. Gorman believes this tale is a phantom and didn't happen this way because Allen was known to annotate books and then send them off to places. He would just do that to freak people out. This is something his brothers kind of verified and that reprinting the book kind of made this thing gain traction. The making the 127 copies uh, made it kind of pop up. And then, unfortunately, Jessup's possible suicide. I'm not going to say I know anything about that, but that, like, legitimized it. Gorman wrote about it in the 80s in a fate magazine, and he got kind of ostracized. He got threatening letters from Carl Allen when he was, like, a really old man at this point. <laughs> and we'll give up. he finally met him and said it was the most anticlimactic moment of his life. Because he couldn't trick him. He said he just saw through it. The warship, the U.S. Eldridge, was in Greece, actually, and called the Lyon. And guess where it was found? Where? Crete. No way. Crete. So there was a story featured in a Greek playboy in the 80s. Oh, lovely. So it was about the ship before it was taken apart and scrapped because they were trying to track down the ship, and then they found it, and it was in Greece. So if it is just a leg pull, right, sounds like most likely is, it was a wild one. Yeah. He went to great lengths. And there's people that still talk about it. I saw a uh, random you know, video of another podcast that was just talking about the Philadelphia experiment. There's tons of YouTube videos about it, but this 2002 doc, The History's Mysteries, if you all remember those, they were really fun. Takes me back to my curious weirdo teen years, and I'll, of course, link that in the show notes for you. But anyways, yeah, Philadelphia experiment. I don't know what I think of it, um, but what I do think is it's a really interesting story. Yeah. And the greenish fog adds to it. Oh, yeah. The otherworldliness. It's always green. And when I do think of UFOs, I do think green, kind of almost like a lime green. They always have those drawings where it's like the cow getting sucked up by the green light into Mm -hmm. the UFO. Yep, exactly. I love it. Um, I had a lot of green sinks during this, you know, finding lots of random things. And the Liminal Earth Discord was a NASA probe catching this green lightning bolt what? on Jupiter, which I'll, I'll share that uh, article as well. It's a really cool picture. Like I said, I always think of you know aliens, portals, ray guns, toxic gas, toxic sludge, the goosebumps font. And, you know, I've done, I've talked about blue mist and blue stuff and now green stuff. So what color will plague me next? All right, one last edit John interruption. So another uh, green stuff sink. I just got the new Strange Days, volume 12, and the cover is a beautiful otherworldly green. I love it. I believe it's Highgate Cemetery. It's got part two of Andrew's writing about the Highgate vampire. Some big cats in the UK stuff. 
Ooh, hair-covered humanoid photographed on trail cam in Washington. It's got an interview with director of the Mothman Prophecies, Mark Pellington. So a lot of cool stuff. Definitely check out The New Strange Days. I haven't read this one yet, but I'm very excited to. And also shout out AP Strange, who put the story on Liminal Earth that sent me down the green stuff rabbit hole in the first place. If you go to apstrange.com, it's got some of his writing. AP Strange's Weird Writings. Sporadic and far-reaching musings about all things weird. Presented for your approval by Discordian paranormal speculator, flying saucer enthusiast, and all-around nice guy, AP Strange. I'll have links in the show notes to both these things. And all right, that's it. Edit John out. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Anomalous Waves. Make sure and uh, check the show notes for links to the History's Mysteries doc and uh, whatever other random things I said I would link to. Go to anomalouswaves.com for all of our links. Um, Also, at the bottom of the little link tree, I made some Spotify playlists. All the regular episodes in one, all the rabbit holes in one, all the movie mausoleums in another. So that way you don't have to dig through the feed and you can listen in order if that's your thing. That's my thing. (laughs) So I get it. The only social media we really do is Instagram. Yeah. And that's mostly just to announce new episodes. We're not super active on social media, but we do want to hear from you. We want to hear your stories. I want to do some sound effects and some music to some spooky stories that people send us. So if you have a weird experience that you want to send us, you can email us at anomalouswaves at gmail.com or on that Linktree site, you can just send us a message straight through there. Or even just send us something on Instagram. And if you don't want your name being used, we can make up a cool one together or just omit it all together. So. Yeah, just be anonymous. Yeah, be mysterious. If you want to join the Strange Pals Club, patreon.com slash anomalous waves but the easiest best way to support the show is by telling someone tell your best friend tell the green coyote bark and cloud that destroys your party or if you know somebody who hates paranormal and you don't like that person tell them i don't care get even <laughs> take a, a some book that you got that you don't want annotate a bunch of stuff about how great anomalous waves podcast is and then uh, just send it to random people in the mail tell your governor or just send it to anybody who likes anything weird once again thanks so much for listening bye see you later alligators lily putt telepathically send them a goodbye bark <laughs>